Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, Corpse Grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition or Blu-ray and The Angel Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.milkcreekent.com, that's milkcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Arrow Films is a leading independent entertainment distribution company established in 1991, operating in the UK, the Republic of Ireland, United States of America, and Canada. Arrow Films is dedicated to supporting upcoming and established filmmakers of dynamic new cinema and developing an inviolable slate of quality films 
that enjoy a lasting legacy across its award-winning branded labels, channels, and platforms. Arrow Films is also a leading restorer and theatrical distributor of classic and cult horror films, including landmark titles such as the 25th anniversary reissue of Cinema Paradiso, the 15th anniversary reissue of Donnie Darko, and the 30th anniversary reissue of Hellraiser. These lovingly restored films are brought back into cinemas nationwide with brand new look campaigns with wide-reaching distribution, including outdoor event status screenings at various cultural festivals and as one-off bookings in local repertory cinemas and film societies. Arrow Films is also widely considered to be the global market leader in the premium home entertainment market, fueled by passionate and expert curation aligned with state-of-the-art in-house film restoration, resulting in highly sought-after bespoke Blu-ray editions of classic cult and horror films across its Arrow Video and Arrow Academy branded labels. Beloved by collectors, these ever-expanding brands continue to delight their growing international fan base with regular interactive live events, festival sponsorship, and retail stands presence. Our offering extends to truly limited edition box sets, as well as associated spin-off products, now including books and vinyl records. We are so happy to have Arrow Video as one of our new sponsors. You can find them at www.aerofilms.com. While you're there, be sure to pick up some cool titles. For example, they have the brand new American Werewolf in London collection, which is beautiful. The complete Sartana collection, Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, Toys Are Not For Children, a new edition of Al Pacino's Cruising, and let's not forget a limited edition copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and a limited edition copy of RoboCop. There's so much more, I can't even get into them all, but trust me when I say they're fantastic and we couldn't be happier to have them. So once again, visit Arrow Films at www.aerofilms.com and check out all of their brands from Arrow Video, Arrow Academy, Arrow Films, and Arrow TV. I wonder if anyone actually uses the metronome. Because <laughs> GarageBand, you have the like. I tip, always have to turn tip, it off. Tip, 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 tip. I feel like it would really, it would really throw me. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Not since we're not recording music. <laughs> you know, this podcast has a real musical like element to it. I, They're always on time. It has a beat, but I can't dance to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Nick, how have you been? Uh, you you doing okay today? I, I'm doing I'm doing good. It's just um, just busy. I've have a lot of. I'm at like at work an intersection of several projects where some are wrapping up while some are launching. So it's just kind of I'm in and out of a bunch of meetings and I'm having to switch mental gears a lot in a way that I don't do really mm-hmm. well. Um, I get that. So the I I just got out of a meeting for from from a local high school about filming. I'm doing like some live streaming stuff for their graduation, and um, then like that meeting. How wrapped. do you have time for? How do you have time for all this, Nick? I don't. <laughs> well, now I feel especially bad that you've cut like the last this entire season, and you don't have time for. That. Oh no no it's that's that's my my pleasure editing. <laughs> Oh okay. Ew. <laughs> it's it's tantric editing. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's. I'm trying to work BDSM uh, into an editing reference, but I, I can't make it work. No, it's it's a hard one. 
<laughs> you know, uh, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the other day, or yesterday, so Amanda has to do a group project for uh, one of her classes, and they had to come up with a team name. And she's like, Michael, I need a nerdy, punny name. <laughs> And like I was put on the spot, I was like, "Oh shit! Like, what do I do?" And you know, You're I was really trying funny. to work Tell like a joke. <laughs> I was like trying to work like technology into it, and and I was trying to think, okay, what's something nerdy? And so I I came up with a couple of them. I came up with the red shirt syndrome because I was thinking, oh, nice. uh, you know, Star Trek. It's subtle enough. And then I came up with Sherlock Homies. <laughs> And then I came up with this one was I was really proud of. I came up so in in like there's a program that they use in tech called SQL. It's just SQL. So I came up with Alvin and the Computer Chipmunks colon the sequel. (laughs) And I was really proud of that one. And she Amanda loved it. And then like afterwards, like after everything, like um, our house guest Emma was like. Oh my God, red shirt, uh, red shirt syndrome. I was like, yeah, right. It's the Star Trek. She's like, no, it's it's RSS. And I was like, oh, oh, nice. And I, and I, and she's like, did you? Was that intentional? Did you come up with that? And I was like, I wish I had. It totally did. No, but that was just unintentional genius on my part. <laughs> the the only one I was yeah. able to come up with in this amount of time was techno, tech yes. <laughs> I was also going to suggest Technoar from Terminator. Nice, yeah. Because that would have been a good one as well. But I didn't think of that at the time. So, so there, you were too busy coming up with RSS. Yeah, uh, but they end up going to Sherlock Homies, which okay. was my least favorite. <laughs> Fine, take the bottom of the barrel suggestion that I gave yeah. you. And when she said, laughs. oh, they're going to go with this one, I was like, boo. It's like, why are you booing? You came up with it. <laughs> It's like, I don't know. Leave me alone. I don't like anything I create. Never. <laughs> Except so, my kids. I love them. <laughs> yeah. Kids are great. That that's that's fair. You can <laughs> you can like your kids. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Ah. <sighs> uh, like I, I I really have no complaints. I'm I'm trying to stay positive. I'm trying to hope that things are on the upswing. Um and well, yeah. For for the, I don't want to spoil anything, but for the sake of looking on the brighter side, I think there are some things that we can be really excited about, particularly mm-hmm. our lineup of potential podcast guests this yes, season. Yes, we, this season's coming together deliciously. And, like, and we're, they we're might all fall through. We don't yeah. know. Well, one we know won't because that one's already recorded. Yeah, and so, that one I'm like I've I took a screenshot of that episode and I've been wanting to post it and I was like no no wait we, we until gotta wait we gotta we gotta wait that's that's for our hundredth episode so we we recorded it a little early in order to make the timing work out for our guest and everyone mm-hmm. um, but we're very excited about that but then we have what four or five more guests that have already said like. Yep, let's schedule something mm-hmm. with a few more ideas that like haven't gotten to that point yet, but are like interesting. Would would be very interesting. Um, we have, I think we. I, I'm almost worrying that we have more guests than we have episodes. We're <laughs> we're getting close. Well, if if we can, we I'm okay releasing extra episodes so yes. long as we can find the recording time. 
Yes, 100%. And it's one of those things, too. Like, I never really considered us to be a guest-heavy podcast, but I'm also not opposed to them when they come organically. Right, right. You know, I never want to be the show that's, like, rushing out looking for someone. But if, like, we reach out to a bunch of people and they all just happen to say yes at the same time, well, fuck, then it's a guest <laughs> then, block. Then we're then we're doing some guests. And then the hope is that, you know, the more guests, the more attention, because then we spread out to their feeds and, yeah. and we can get the holy grail that is Butch Patrick. Hopefully. Right. Hopefully so that's your one hit of up. who we didn't get. <laughs> that's your Damn one it, spoilers. hit. spoilers. Yep, I know. I had to give him something, Nick. <laughs> And so what we gave you was the disappointment of knowing that we did not get Butch Patrick. No. I, I think what what we ended up with is kind of the, like, what Butch Patrick was for me with That's the Phantom true. Toll booth, our guess was for you with, like, your nostalgia That's background. That's <laughs> Fine. But, uh, yeah, I guess it all things are pretty, all things considered, things are pretty good. Good. We've got some great guests coming. We have yes. some cool episodes. So I listened to the Frightmares episode <laughs> yes. that you guested on, and I really enjoyed your conversation about screwing me over by swearing <laughs> as much as possible. Oh, I don't do it that bad anymore. But there was a period <laughs> yeah. of time where I was like, oh, this is a challenge now. <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun episode. I'm glad that Austin Proctor asked us to be on, and he and he... Um, he is one of the guests that that we want to work with where he had an idea of doing a crossover show where he'd come on here and release it onto, we'd release it on our feed and his, and then just cross population. (sighs) I'm glad you listened to that, Nick. Yeah. I always, whenever I have a podcast listening opportunity, I try and find the episodes that like either of our podcast that you did solo or mm-hmm. ones that you guested on to try and like I do the get same I listen to whole... I, I listen to the ones you edit cuz I'm always just curious like how you do things versus how I do things and it's I I do them quick and dirty. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I've been slow like it's it our early episodes were a lot more I wouldn't say more polished but definitely like I could tell that I spent a lot more time on it and not in a like that our episodes sound bad now i've just become a little more forgiving well and and i know for me and i i think the same is true of you early on it's not like you and i did a lot of on camera stuff where needing to edit yourself is a challenge because you kind of you're overly critical at first. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I said, um, gotta cut that out. Oh, I said light too many times. I gotta cut that out. And then after a while, you're like, yeah, okay. Like, you you get accustomed to hearing yourself, and so you're less critical about it. Yeah, in a way that other people really aren't critical. And then, like, um, I've also become more comfortable with some of the silent portions. Like, there are some times where, like, I can look, like, I'll look at the the, the audio files, and I can almost see, like, okay, there there's too much silence there. Yeah. But then, like, there's, you know, it's, eh, it's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you, you just kind of, like, become comfortable with what the appropriate amount of silence is. And, right. like, I have, like, retooled jokes and things to make the punchline line better. Um <laughs> The biggest one I will sometimes do is I'll make it so we're not completely like talking over each other. Sometimes I'll like move the move it just a touch. Let it, let it breathe a little more. Yeah, exactly. 
But if now, when nothing... have I ever talked over you? Exactly. Well, I know I do it to you all the time. I feel actually I don't realize I'm doing it until I'm listening to the edit, and I, then I feel really bad. I'm like, oh, oh fuck, no, I, no, I just stepped well, over everything he's saying. It it feels natural as we're saying it, and that's the truest measure of whether it was appropriate or not. Not when you're again. That's when you're over analyzing it as in post. Makes sense. But uh, if you got nothing else, I, we can just go on to reading to starting the show. I have nothing else. Cool. Well, then we will get on to the show. Let me take a sip of cold brew for the working. Oh, you're out of tea. I am. Oh, wait a minute. It has a message. Don't forget to love each other. Aw. We do love each other. We do. We, so we can't forget that. <laughs> how, how would we ever forget? podcast actually discusses movies be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements endings surprise twists unexpected cameos and all manner of spoilers if this doesn't appeal to you why listen to a movie podcast without further ado please enjoy our feature presentation the shameless picture show hello and welcome to another episode of the shameless picture show I am Michael Viers, and with me, as always, is a man who's good, but compared to Joe Lewis, he ain't shit. (laughs) Nick Richards. On today's episode, we'll be doing a double feature of a classic and its contemporary sequel. Today, we've got John Landis' film, Coming to America, and its 2020 sequel by Craig Brewer, Coming to To America. America. Though I seriously think it should have been called Coming to Zamunda because they spend more time in Zamunda in the scene. Yes. But I digress. Prince Akeem, who is a wealthy prince of the African nation Zamunda, has been pampered his entire life. He has everything from servants, luxurious clothes, and even bath maidens. His parents, the king and queen of Zamunda, have set up an arranged marriage for him, but Akeem isn't keen on this. Why marry someone you don't love? He wants the love of a woman who loves him for him, not because of who he is. So, along with his friend Semi, they travel to Queens, New York to find his new bride. And there he meets a crazy assortment of characters, gets a job, and finds the love of his life, Lisa. Issue is, she's already with someone. Coming to America was a big film for Eddie Murphy, where he showed the world that he could be a real leading man. Because up until this point, Murphy has been known for his comedic chops and his comedy action hybrid films like 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. It was a big success and was a big moment for black film as as almost the entire cast was made up of black performers. So much so that Paramount actually asked Eddie Murphy to cast a few white people in the film. Which is how Louis Anderson got in the film. Because uh, that's one of the stories I read that he's like, he's like, I don't really want to do this, but I'm good. For, I really like Louis Anderson, so I'll give him a job. I love um, how you, you have to pick out a white person. Okay, Louis Anderson it is. Yes. Eddie Murphy was also personally responsible for getting John Landis the job after his infamous Twilight Zone incident, which if you don't know about, I will tell you. I don't. Uh, Remind me to tell you about that because it might piss you off as much as it does me. The film was written by writing partners David Sheffield and Barry W. Blaustein, if you remember him, Nick. No. He directed uh, um, Beyond the Mat. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. 
said he, he was also like the guy in the movie. Right. So it was, right. It was written by David Sheffield and Barry W. Blaustein from an idea by Eddie Murphy with music by Niall Rogers and cinematography of Woody Omens. It stars Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, John Amos, James Earl Jones, and Mad Sinclair, which they would later go on to be in The Lion King together. Okay. And Shari Headley as Lisa from 1988, directed by John Landis. This is coming to America. But that's not all. Eddie Murphy, hoping to use his clout from the critically acclaimed Dolomite Is My Name, decided it was an apt time to return to the kingdom of Zamunda with the follow-up film coming to America. <laughs> On the 30th anniversary of his wedding to Lisa, Prince Akeem told by his, Prince Akeem is told by his dying father that he must find an heir to the throne. But he has only sired daughters and is against the rules of Zamunda to have a female heir. However, unbeknownst to Akeem, and pretty much everyone up until this point, while in Queens, New York, Akeem actually had a son with a woman, which he doesn't remember. <laughs> Overjoyed by the prospect of having a son, Akeem and Sammy returned to New York to meet the young lad with hopes of bringing him back to Zamunda to take the throne. However, not everyone is excited as Akeem. Lisa feels betrayed, not having known about the illegitimate son, and Akeem's eldest daughter, Mika, is unhappy that her chances of taking over the throne are going away. Coming to America reunited a large majority of the cast from the original film and even brought back David Sheffield and my boy Barry W. Blaustein to work on the script. While it's not said if John Landis was ever approached to direct, Eddie Murphy brought on Craig Brewer to helm the project after their mutual success on Netflix, Dolomite Is My Name. While the film was originally intended for a theatrical release, uh, it was released digitally on Amazon Prime and, was the, and had the best opening weekend for a streaming film since the pandemic began. The film stars Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones, Leslie Jones, Tracy Morgan, Kiki Lane, Wesley Snipes, and Jermaine Fowler as Lavelle Johnson, Akeem's illegitimate son. From 2020, directed by Craig Brewer, with scripting by Barry Blaustein, David Sheffield, and Kenya Barris, this is coming to America. Roll the two trailers. Trailer, trailer, trailer. Extra trailer. Once upon a time, in a faraway kingdom, lived a handsome prince. He was attended by devoted servants. Do you think perhaps just once I might use the bathroom by myself? Most amusing, sir. Wipers! And engaged by royal decree. Why? Why can't I find my own wife? We've gone to a great deal of trouble to select for you a very fine wife. I want a woman that's going to arouse my intellect as well as my loins. Where will you find such a woman? In America. So he traveled across the sea to the land of opportunity, which is where the fairy tale ends and our story begins. Behold, Simi, life, real life, and seeing that we have been denied for far too long. We're in New York now. Let us dress as New Yorkers. I feel like a complete idiot. Have either of you ever had any fast food work experience before? Certainly not. This will be our first job in the United States. I am Akeem. It's nice to meet you, Akeem. I have recently been placed in charge of garbage. That's good to know. Oh, my goodness! It is you! Greetings, Your Highness! Who was that? Eddie Murphy. Just the man I met in the restroom. Arsenio Hall. Ah! In a comedy fable of royal romance. 
When I look at these contestants for the Miss Black Awareness pageant, I feel good. Apparently, these are the best women queens has to offer. Pick one and let's go home. I want to tear you apart. And your friend, too. Coming to America. Sir, I was wondering, did you happen to catch the professional football contest on television last night? No, I didn't. Oh, it was most exhilarating. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And in the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big ace. It was a most ripping victory. Son, yes. you want to keep working here. Stay off the drugs. Yes. You must heed my words before I'm gone, my son. Now, you will be king. But the throne must pass to a male heir. Hakim, it appears you have a son. He must be found. Prepare the royal jet. We are going back to America. Oh, hell no, your majesty. Come on! I'm back! Say it again! So good to see you. Well, I be damned. Look who done come up in here. Hey, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. The famine and blood diamonds. Nelson Mandela and Winnie. Those hungry babies with the flies on the face. Hey, oh, 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 that's too much. Now, you stepped over the line. Now, we won't be talking that kind of shit about the hungry babies. You're going to have to get out of my chair. Politically incorrect. So what you doing back here, Hotel Rwanda? <laughs> I'm back. Say it again. <sighs> it's always hard writing intros for two when we're discussing two movies because the flow is always weird. Yeah. And I I actually thought I did a pretty decent job, but originally when I was writing these intros, I was like, man, these films have like the same plot. <laughs> so And the same title. And the yes. same cast. Yes. It's, it's the same film. <laughs> yes. I mean, they certainly, you know, uh, the the narratives do split off in a way that mm-hmm. freshens it, it, it up, yes. and, and I think is true to the spirit of. I of will what say they did in the first before ones. we talk in depth about it, I will say the film just barely stays on the line between sequel and complete retread. Yeah, but it yep. walks it fine enough that I feel like the film works. Yes, yeah. But I also, there's there's that scene in the sequel. Um, where they kind of like break the fourth wall a little bit because they're talking about uh, the purpose <laughs> yes. of like who would want a reboot of these kind of movies? Like who would watch that kind of thing? Well, actually, it can be done very well. Kind of you know that I always appreciate when when it, in in the same way that in Ghostbusters, answer the call how they were reading the internet 
comments mm-hmm. like in the film and like Gir- what girls can't can't be Ghostbusters or you know whatever the dad was. I I liked when they acknowledge the pre-release drama surrounding films. Yes, actually, Twenty One Jump Street did a really good version of that. Uh, did you ever see the the remake of Twenty One Jump Street? I did not. Well. I will send you the actual clip to listen to, but I'm going to do it this way where I'm actually just going to play it for you off of my phone okay. so you can hear it because I don't want to misquote it and it's it's hysterical. Um, so the story of 21 Jump Street for you don't know, it's based on a TV show from the 80s with Johnny Depp where he played an undercover cop who had to go to high school and break up drug busts and everything. Yep. Oh, and I'm familiar it... with the TV show. Well, in the movie they have Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum essentially doing the same thing and here's a scene with them and uh their police captain and they they do that type of scene perfectly the department was forced to drop the charges because you forgot to read him his miranda rights what possible reason is there for not doing the only thing you have to do when arresting someone i did read him his right i did a version of that do you even know the miranda rights yes let's hear him then do we, I mean, you got a lot of stuff to do. You oh, go ahead. You, got a lot you going anywhere, Schmidt? You we got time. I had a thing, but I can probably push it back. Go ahead. It's four declamatory sentences followed by a question for a total of 57 words. Okay. Uh, Is that Ron Burgundy? Look, it obviously yeah, starts with you have the right to remain silent. Or, you know, uh, uh, Ron Swanson. And then um, it, it, I think it sounds something like... Uh, well, the thing... Yeah, you, oh, right. Do you have the right to remain an attorney? Did you say that you have the right to be an attorney? You do have the right to be an attorney if you <laughs> want to. Where were you? <clears throat> I was uh, I was chasing my perp, sir. And how did that go for you? He Honestly, he did get away, and he threw me down pretty hard. Actually, fucked up my elbow pretty bad. Can I see that? Yeah, actually, it hurts because the dirt gets mushed Ouch. into it. Ow! Ow! Wow. Fortunately for you two, we're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s and revamping it for modern times. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity and are completely out of ideas. So all they do now is recycle shit from the past and expect us all not to notice. One of these programs involves the use of young, immature-seeming officers. So are you saying that you're going to send us into, like, a child sex slavery ring or something sir if i have to suck somebody's dick i will it's just i prefer not to i think you idiots are perfect you're officially transferred all right that's great well where should we report to down on jump street 37 (laughs) jump street no that doesn't sound right nice so that's to this day that's one of my favorite versions of that. yep that's pretty good <laughs> that's because, you like, got I don't called know. out hard yeah 37 jump street wait that's no, not right, no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> but anyways yes i i really appreciated that scene but before we talk about the sequel we should probably go back and talk about the original one so you want to do them in order that's yeah, i i figured it's that, kind of a okay it's to each their own i guess yeah you know I, I, I th- it's a bold choice that I know, <laughs> but I feel like f- 
for sake of listening to the podcast, it might sure. be best for those. Okay. So I, I'll concede. So was this your first time seeing Coming to America? And it Coming was. to America? Yes. Yep. This was on my shameless. And I, I watched it just to watch it outside of the podcast. And then we were talking episodes. I'm like, hey, I just saw Coming to America if you want to... You know, do that as an episode, um, and that was, I think, a month and a half ago. So I'm struggling Jesus. to remember. <laughs> oh God, this is going to be a terrible episode. <laughs> this is gonna. You'll do some of the heavy lifting on this. One. Yeah. Anyway, so this was also on my shame list, and it's it's movies like this are always really funny for me because it's never that I'm like avoiding the movie. It's just I've never totally. got around to yep. it. It's yep. you know. Um, part of it is um, Eddie Murphy has been in so many films that I don't like this is going to sound dumb but like I don't know which ones are considered as good ones and which ones are considered as bad ones sure he has done so much that you never know like I know that sounds dumb but and I, I thought this was an interesting example of like I can see in some of his less great films the same stuff he's doing in coming to america mm-hmm. but coming to america did it right yeah you know yeah. the dressing up as other characters and talking to mm-hmm. each other and the comedy and delivery is a bit over the top and but it really really works in coming to america and i can see where with his later some of his later films there was that like Okay, now I kind of I I know that this kind of comedy works, and I know that this kind of thing works, and and what happened in Coming to America works. So let's try this, but then that didn't quite live up to it and work in the same way. It's, it kind of reminds me a lot of Adam Sandler because like I really like oh, a lot of yeah. Adam Sandler's yep. earlier films, but then it kind of be, he kind of got to a point where he knew what worked, or at least what used to work, and just kind of went with that. And I've always thought that Eddie Murphy was a far better actor than Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam Sandler is just being a goofball on camera, and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And don't get me wrong, he has done some good performances. I'm just talking overall. Absolutely. I'm I'm talking, yeah, of of the Happy Gilmore, you know, style that he's done but yeah Punch 100%. Love, he's done you know he's done some incredible acting but what i really liked about this film is i i was impressed by how like because i think one of the things that i was worried about i was worried that this was going to be a one note joke you know what i mean yeah like yep. oh uh, uh, african prince comes to america and Let's you know, see what wacky antics happen as a result of that. There was definitely some of that, but what I really liked was, was I liked how connected I got to the character of Akeem in a way that I didn't think I was going to because he was such a good emotional lead. Yeah. There are electricians in my house right now, so there will be some tool noises every once in a while. Um, so that's what I found myself like not only laughing a lot during this film but then like just really getting swept up in the drama of the scene and for me I think that's what works best in a comedy is I want to laugh I want to feel something I want a little bit of everything it's kind of like actually last night or the last two days we me and Amanda have been watching some Disney films and we just watched Moana for the first time oh and so good right it, it's I've been singing the the the, the David Bowie-esque shiny song 
Yeah. Um, days now. Uh, Lin Manuel. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda wrote a bunch of the songs yep. in that, so that's um, why it's so freaking good. And then we also just watched Lilo and Stitch last night because I didn't remember a single thing about oh, it. That's that's a great one too. And that was a perfect example of something that was hysterically funny, but then I was crying by the end. And yeah, like, yeah. I, I like that that combination of feelings. Mm-hmm. I want there to be a story and laughs, right. and that's what I thought Coming to America did so beautifully. Um, Unlike our conversation about airplane, where they're like, "We are not going to give you anything except setups and punchlines." Yes, yes, and that and that's all perfectly fine if that's what people like. But for me personally, I want a little bit of both. You want you want a little more meat on your yeah your comedies, one hundred percent. Because uh, so and. Apparently, from what I had read, that originally there was talk about Eddie Murphy directing this film, and this was going to be his directorial debut, but he didn't want all that on his shoulders with his okay. first time out, um, which is why he, he... he I don't know, I think he was actually a producer on this film, but he had a lot of pull on this film because he was a huge star at this time. Yeah. And he single-handedly got director john landis the job nice um because after they had worked on trading places together and john landis though he's kind of an interesting director because he's he's known in the horror realm but has only really made like one like one maybe two horror films and has done a lot of comedies um you know best known for like animal house and the blues brothers and right. such um but i meant to so I'll, I'll tell you the controversy yes, of uh, please. John Landis, but did you want to talk about how you thought about the film first? Sure. Or should I go into, yeah. so should I go into the thing? No, I'll um, respond first. Um, something that really stood out to me was what a good person Eddie Murphy's character was. Oh my God, yes. Like it, Even in the beginning, like when he should theoretically be like, not as good of a person and then learn something even he's a good person then yeah he's he is he, though he disagrees with his father he's very respectful and he understands and he doesn't want to it's not like he i just want a different life it's that he wants the life that he has but with the freedom to choose his own spouse um and then when he falls in love with lisa and she has this other significant other like any other film would have gone to him trying to break them up or talk shit about him when he has the opportunity. And he did not do any of that. He was respectful of that. And he's like, I am just like, do I want to marry her? Yes. But Mm -hmm. he like, he was, he had such integrity in a way that you do not see with characters in movie and film. Like, show me one other character that has that level of constant integrity. Yeah. And, like, I, I, when I look, because, like, I feel like another version of this film could have very easily been, you know, think, think the movie Arthur, where he's like a rich guy who loves being rich and he's perfectly fine just, you know, being bathed daily. And then, you know, it's like, you know, you need to go find a wife. Why? Why do I got to do You know, it's like he. He wants something yep. more. He's bored by this life. Like I just love the first time we see him, or one of the first shots. He's he's in the um, the bathing tub, and he's just like, <sighs> like, like my life is is not good type of thing. 
And don't you don't you sleep with your royal bathers? I know I do. <laughs> Which was so like Amanda and our guest Emma were struggling with hearing Mufasa being like, "Go ro- go sow your royal oats." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I love how in the sequel he was basically playing Mufasa too. Like soon this kingdom will all be yours. <laughs> I'm going to die now. <laughs> Remember. I, so I I said that I told Amanda I want to do a cut of Lion King where I take all of James Earl Jones's lines from this movie and put them in there. Like I just want to see like bit like cloud head Mufasa just saying to young to young Simba, go sow your royal oats. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I. It's this is one of those films, and it, I wouldn't say this happens often, but it's a movie that like I was legitimately upset that I hadn't seen earlier because I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, it's one that like I'm excited to rewatch and uh, and and experience again. And I did have some issues with it. I felt like it could have just been a touch tighter with its editing and things like that. But for a film that's seemingly built on a bunch of moments put together because it kind of feels a little bit like a sketch comedy movie where it's sure. a bunch you know it's a character characters walking into a bunch of crazy situations yeah. and then being like oh that was weird and then going <laughs> about their business like they tied those things in very well where it didn't feel like disconnected moments all being put together yeah where i don't that's one thing that i don't think the sequel did as well okay um uh, I just I thought the the first movie for B even though at times where I felt like it was just a little uh, just a touch long it still was a relatively tight movie and everything flowed very well into each other it had a lot of like legitimate like good laughs in it too like I uh, and then Eddie Murphy playing an old Jewish guy threw us all because <laughs> I still can't see him in that makeup and Pound Pound Sugar Ray Robinson the greatest fighter ever lived oh come on man what about Joe Lewis the Brown Bomber. Now that was a great boxer. You damn right. I suppose nobody in here ever heard of Cassius Clay. We got a point. Cassius Clay was a bad motherfucker. Hey, I ain't saying Clay ain't bad. I'm just saying I stopped liking Cassius Clay once changed the name to Muhammad Ali. What kind of shit is that? Wait a second. Wait a second. A man has the right to change his name to whatever he wants to change it to. And if a man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, God damn it, this is a free country. You should respect his wishes and call the man Muhammad Ali. His mama named him Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. Mm-hmm. That's right. I say Clay. Get out of here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He gonna always be Clay to me. I don't give a fuck what chain name to. He is Clay. He Clay to me. I say Clay. Well, then you're a putz. The three of you. Three putzes. You should change the name outside from Mighty Shop to the Three Putzes. You must be out of your goddamn mind. Joe Lewis, the greatest boxer ever lived. I'll be with you boys in a minute. He was bad in Chester Clay. He bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that? You, the new boy got? Mike, Mike Tyson. Look like a bulldog. He bad in him, too. He whipped Mike Tyson's ass. He whipped all their asses. What about Rocky Marciano? Oh, there they go. There they go. Every time I start talking about boxing, a white man got to pull Rocky Marciano out their ass. That's the one. That's the one. Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano. Let me tell you something wonderful. Rocky Marciano was good. But compared to Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't shit. He beat Joe Lewis's ass. That's right. He did whoop Joe Lewis's ass. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. I don't know how old he was, but he got his ass whooped. 
Joe Lewis had come out of retirement to fight Rocky Marciano. The man was 76 years old. Joe Lewis always lied about his age. He lied about his age all the time. One time, Frank Sinatra comes out here and sat down in this chair. And I said, Frank, you hang out with Joe Lewis. Just between me and you, how old is Joe Lewis? You know what Frank told me? He said, hey, Joe Lewis, 137 years old. 137 years old. Oh, man, you ain't never meet no Frank Sinatra. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? Like, I was excited for the credits because I knew that Eddie Murphy and, and Arsenio Hall were playing a bunch of those characters, but the makeup was pretty freaking good to the point where, yeah, and, and their performances as those characters were good to the point where I needed to go, I needed in text to say, yep, this is Arsenio Hall before I went, okay, yep, I see it. <laughs> and, that, and that was a big testament to the makeup artist Rick Baker, who I think won an Academy Award for this movie. Um... But what I find so funny about it is apparently when no one was supposed to know that Eddie Murphy was playing the role of the white Jew, or the old white Jewish guy, <laughs> and it even confused Paramount because they're like, who is this guy? And they didn't realize it was him either. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Which I love. Um, didn't Eddie Murphy do a sketch on SNL about like being an undercover white guy? He might have. I didn't. I, I've not actually seen a lot of Eddie Murphy's SNL days. Okay, that that's striking a familiar chord for me. But um. yeah, and it's also, it's also like I grew up knowing who Arsenio Hall was because of like his, his TV show he had, and I feel like I've seen him in stuff. But like I really enjoyed seeing him in this movie. They're so and, good together too. They really bring out the best in each other yes and like i i because I, I loved it, it, it the thing i could tell in both films it seemed like both uh movies everyone involved in it was having a lot of fun yes yep and like even like in the sequel like when wesley snipes shows up it's like wesley snipes seems like he's having the most fun in the world playing that character <laughs> The way that he dances in for his like is, is amazing and so strange. Um, I you know what in the sequel really brought like this uncontrollable smile to my face was what's that? Um, when first Morgan Freeman's role in the film, <laughs> yes, which was small, but he he plays himself and he's just kind of like uh, overseeing. Uh, spoiler alert: the um, pre-funeral for the king uh, for yes. james earl jones so he's alive joffe joffer yeah but they're having this um this funeral for him and when he announced was it salt and peppa and i forget the other group that was there <laughs> like i i have never been particularly into salt and peppa or um god it's killing me that i can't think of was it gladys knight she was there but um, it was the other like rap '90s rap group. I don't remember who it is. Um, my head. Anyway, but I was lose like it was so good. Everybody in that room was excited. They the the bands the performers looked like they were having an amazing time. In the beginning, the universe began. Stars, planets, all the visible objects in the universe came to be with a single purpose, to prepare the way for the grandest creation of all, the birth 
I'm Captain Joe. But today, we gather for a moment or two to give much respect due to the king who made a difference in our world. Zamundans, I give you in bold. He looking like a male every time I see him. I love the enemy, the other kings couldn't be him. He dresses like a dapper don, but even in jeans, he's a god set original, the king of my dreams. What a king! What a king! What a king! What a king! What a mighty good! So good! So good! So good! What a king! What a king! What a king! What a mighty good king! of the great king, the world changed forever. When he died, no one ever smiled again. Vacations were canceled, holidays ignored. People didn't even have sex anymore. Our great king had gone away forever. Gladys Knight. He's leaving. On the midnight train from Zamunda. Yes, he is. Son. Yes, my father. Said he's going up. Up, up, Going up. Remember what I told you. Sahara in the sky. I'm going to die now. Come now, father. Everything is going to. scene in a way that usually a scene like that does not work at all usually it's like yeah it's so transparent and performative Mm -hmm. but it was so celebratory in this like i could feel everybody being excited to be back on set in by the way i think i think the other group was en vogue that could be yeah that sounds right but yes and and uh, morgan freeman announcing them. yes and i also love that morgan freeman being like sex isn't as fun now that king joffer's <laughs> dead it's like what what did you say <laughs> no and like i i i loved that scene because like you said it was a lot of fun but the thing i liked about both of these movies too is that they are very self-aware 
like the sequel having that scene about like who wants to watch a you know a 20 year old sequel or some shit yeah. but then even in the first one when they're like um when they are preparing for eddie murphy to meet his arranged bride and um i think her name was imani and you know they have like this big dance sequence coming in and it just keeps going on and on and on and like the king kind of looks at it is at the queen and they're all just like really like <laughs> like they don't like make a big deal out of it but you can tell it's like right as i'm starting to be like is this scene still going on like the characters are like doing is the same thing still going on? yes and i was like oh that this scene now feels warranted in its length because they're commenting on it. It, it brings us, it, it turns that moment into a joke that we're in on instead of a scene that should have been cut shorter. Yes, yes. And I, I, I thought that was, it's just like little moments like that that it was like when I was uh, really getting into the film. And I don't know if that was necessarily my Thrill House moment in the first film. I think it might have actually been... Um, right around when they got to America, and like we saw, like um, like all of his baggage being dragged along, and then eventually got all got stolen. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is where the, all the jokes are going to start coming in. Yeah, uh, I think my throw house moment was the the baby elephant friend that he had oh my god yes yes i loved the baby that came up to him and he like rubbed his head and it <laughs> ran away and then i was really hoping because in the sequel they kept showing flashbacks to the first film i was hoping right. when we saw an elephant in that film we were gonna get a flashback to the baby elephant <laughs> but he did like he did like see the elephant and was like this is my friend we've been friends since yes. we were kids and so there was still that Yes. That connection. And something else I got to give the sequel credit for is they clearly shot shot new footage that was from back then. Oh, and um, it tied together really like sometimes it looked they, incredible. If you held on them a little long, you could kind of see it where it didn't, but like for the most part, like when they first were like walking through the bar and everything, I was like, how did they Wow! Right, it really like, blew me away how good that yeah. how good that looked because yes. normally it doesn't. <laughs> right, but no, like I was really impressed because like wow, both Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy look phenomenal for their age. They, they do. don't look the same way they did when they were younger. right, right. Yeah. It, they don't even look like old a lot older. They're just they their bodies have changed as they just aged. yeah they just they look do different. they both look really good. <laughs> Everyone in this movie looks phenomenal. Even James Earl oh. Jones, and he's been oh. old since as long as I can remember. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. He's one of those guys. That, that's in in doing the show. Some of the the exciting moments for me in revisiting these films that I never got around to is saying like, saying, um, uh, all of the names are escaping me right now. Uh, Baby Al Pacino, and yes, and, and Baby. Um, uh, Dustin Hoffman, who looks a lot like you, Baby yes, Al Pacino. Dust, Dustin Hoffman. These are they look exactly the like when they're younger. <laughs> so that's really cool to see. Now no, Eddie it's, Murphy, it's... I've seen enough of the old SNL stuff to like have. I'm Gumby, damn it, <laughs> to kind of have that in my head. I still am blown away by uh, Baby Robert De Niro because it's like, how are you the same person? Especially in Taxi Driver, because like he oh was, yeah, yeah, like he looked so different in Taxi Driver. Right, felt very lean. 
considering <laughs> he had a, they, it was a whole plot point that he had a terrible diet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I was really happy with this film. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but but like as as I've been kind of leading the way on with um, John Landis. Yes. He's been a filmmaker that I've never been a huge fan of his, but I like some of his movies. I, I really liked The Blues Brothers, which I saw oh. because of this show. Yeah. I really like American Werewolf in London. Um, I now like Coming to America, <laughs> though that be, I would say his he there wasn't a strong directorial voice in this film, and I almost I don't know this for sure. I'm just spitballing. It almost feels a little bit like he just kind of phoned it in, but or that or that Eddie Murphy with all of his pull, even though he didn't direct still had a strong voice that kind of crept into that realm so mm. that john, it, it was more eddie murphy's voice being directed by jonathan landis versus jonathan landis's voice yeah yes so there was an incident uh are you familiar with twilight zone the movie uh i haven't seen it in a really long time but i am familiar with it it like so rebooted three original episodes yes. into a single yes i mean so I it's on the three. movie was produced by steven spielberg and i believe even john landis and it was a movie version of some of their more infamous sketches uh except for one where joe dante was able to make his own it was directed okay. by john landis steven spielberg joe dante and george miller of road warrior fame and while making the film there was a lot of things wrong, but there Vic Morrow stars in John Landis's section of the film okay. where it's a racist man who goes back in time to these different points in history and by the end of it realizes that just because people aren't white they are people too and it ends with a in in the Vietnam War um, a village being bombed and he grabs two young children to try to save them two two vietnamese children okay. to try to save them where the issues start coming in is the set was very unsafe these kids were underage and they should not have been on the set they, okay. they, were, they were filming at night and kids were not legally allowed to film to shoot at night and uh, John Landis wanted to have the biggest explosion of a vill- uh, that's ever been filmed in history and had these really crazy explosions going off. And so what the scene's supposed to happen is you have Vic Morrow grabbing these two kids and running through like a, a rice swamp, you know, like one of those rice paddies as there's a helicopter chasing him and there's explosions going off in the background. Um, what ends up happening is these explosions go off and are too big. It, they explode too close to a to a low flying helicopter, which leads the helicopter to crash, and it killed Vic Morrow and the two children. Oh no! Yes, they get decapitated. Wow. Um, and if you are interested in the full story told by everyone but John Landis, he's refused <laughs> to comment on it. Sure. Uh, even Lloyd Kaufman. Is is it part of it? And he's Lloyd Kaufman has a great line. It's it, there's a show on there's a show on the streaming service Shutter. Which, if you have any interest, I'll let you borrow my password. It's called Cursed Films, and they talk about The Exorcist. They talk about The Omen, yep. The Crow, and these films are considered to be cursed. The Poltergeist and, and what uh, happened yeah. and what got them to that point. And the final episode is about 
Twilight Zone the movie. And Lloyd Kaufman has a great scene in there where he's dressed as a woman, by the way, because he's he was shooting one of his new films where he plays a woman. And Lloyd Kaufman, in a dress, says, "He's like, if I ever was responsible for someone's death because of making something as insignificant as a movie, I'd fucking kill myself or retire because I couldn't live with myself." Wow. And but what makes this hard to watch is you see the footage. Of they it happening. included it in yeah. the film. Yes, the no, not not it, in the film. Okay, they didn't but show in the that. Documentary. But there was there was behind the scenes footage of the incident. Wow, and it's it's hard to watch. I bet. And um, Vic, uh, not Vic Morrow. Sorry, um, John Landis was taken to court for involuntary manslaughter. And. You know, not only for that, but for also violating California laws about employment of children after hours yeah. and all these other things. And he somehow got off. Wow. And um, he also settled outside of court. Um, and, like, he... he Vic, one of Vic Morrow's children, Jennifer Jason Lee, he paid her, like, $2 million. Wow. Um, it shows how much of an asshole John Landis is because he apparently after he got off, he he invited all the jurors to a party that he threw. That is... <laughs> and what's even more frustrating... So, he continued to make movies after this. And this was one of them. Wow. And at the time, his his career was washed up because of that. And... Movie's not doing very well. And pretty much Eddie Murphy felt for the guy because he had made one movie with him and said, hey, I don't want to direct this film. I'll give this guy a shot because he was good to me and his his career's washed up and, you know, the guy shouldn't have to starve or some shit like that. Yeah. So he took pity on him, gave him the job, and apparently John Landis was a huge asshole to Eddie Murphy on set because John Landis was unhappy that Eddie Murphy did not come to his court case. And Eddie Murphy says, why do I got to come to the court case? I know what the fuck you did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's a whole fucking thing. Um, so it makes it makes it really hard to enjoy some of the movies he's made. Because sure. knowing sure. this. Yep. Well, and I, I maybe I'll take this moment as we both come from the world of indie filmmaking and guerrilla yep. filmmaking where the same kind of protections that are on most film sets aren't necessarily in existence on these low, yes. super low budget film sets. As a director, as a producer, as somebody on a film crew like that, no matter the size, you have to, have to, have to make sure that everyone is safe. I honestly fall, once again, going back to Lloyd Kaufman, Lloyd Kaufman has got three rules of film production that he holds so close to his heart that he has them printed out on every set he makes, so it's always in clear view of everyone. Rule one, safety to humans. Rule two, safety to other people's property. And then rule three, which is printed very small, at the bottom of the list, make a good movie. Yeah. Yep. And I've always believed in that. And 
you know, it's one thing if it's an accident that happens, but knowing all the things that he, that John Landis and willfully ignored. Yeah, there there are reasons why those safety measures are in place, and he ignored them in order to make a big boom, mm-hmm. and that then that's what happens. Like you, and we're like what's, oh, sorry, we're now in in the era of you know sparkling consequences where there there are actually thanks to social media if you do something of that nature with with that kind of a result like you're gonna be held to to te- not everyone is but more and more we're what either you're you're held accountable or everyone sees how you weren't held accountable and then there's a big fight to change the system so that people like that are held accountable. Um, and I'm not talking about any one particular case. This is this has been very apparent in the last couple of years, and it's very nice to see that accountability is improving. Yeah, and like what's what's also tough is so John Land so. Let's let's see where this was in John Landis's career. Just as I'm curious, so yep. two, three, four, five, six, seven. That was his eighth movie in 1983. After that incident, he made one. He made not necessarily all directing, but producing as well. Sixteen movies after that. Wow. And the the special effects guy who was trying to follow all the rules on that film and was trying to do everything safe and who's was his first Hollywood film and got really pissed when, when people were moving his mortar, like his mortar holes where he was going to put the explosions, they are moving them so they can get a, have a bigger bang essentially. Um, he's never worked again. Yeah. So, and I wonder how much of that is that he was unhirable and how much was that he's like, you know what, I'm not going to put myself in that environment anymore. Or I uh, can't. A lot of it was he was unhirable. He, he, he's one of the people that interviewed in that show. Okay. And, yeah. So, I still really enjoy it. I didn't mean to bring this a bummer or bring this at, well, as no, a I, downer. But it's like, a good conversation. It's a conversation that should be had. Especially because I didn't know. Like when we did our, I would have talked about this in our Blues Brothers episode. I just didn't know. Like I yeah. heard a little bit about it. I didn't know all the details. Yeah, and, I, like I, said, I hadn't. And, and I legitimately like this film. I legitimately like the Blues Brothers and yeah. American Werewolf. It just it it's it's, it's tough to support you know? that's you know as a kind of offshoot of this national and global conversation that's happening about consequences uh comes the the separation of an art of an artist and their art like mm-hmm. how much of how much can you enjoy annie hall you know given who it's directed by and how much you know all of these conversations that we're having um it's there i don't think there's a right answer and we're all still trying to figure out figure it out when when an artist involved does something terrible yeah how much 
do you, how much does that impact the art that they've made yeah, I, I had read from an artist that I follow on Facebook that he had an interesting way to view it. I have not 100% figured out where I land on this because I do know I like art made by problematic artists. Yeah. But he said, you know, it's one thing you can completely hate an artist for something that they've done, but hating the art makes it a little... it. Hating the art is like hating a bad person's child just because they happen to be related. Sure, yeah. Well, and with, with film in particular, it's so collaborative that it's hard to... I mean, you can never separate out that that mental association, but you also don't want to invalidate all of the good art that everyone else who had nothing to do with that created mm-hmm. and taking that away from them. Um, so I think it's more about, you know, keep, you know, keeping that kind of thing in mind and not putting problem, A, a made, hold them accountable, mm-hmm. which he was not in this yeah. case. And um, then balance, you know, you can still enjoy, enjoy the art, but you do just need to keep it in mind. We... Uh, Harry Potter is another like yeah. big big topic in that, uh, or a big conversation under that topic right now. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, how do you enjoy like you know something knowing who made it? Yeah, it's yeah. it's there is no right or wrong answer, and anyone who says it, it's a, it's a black and white concrete issue, I think is is ignoring some of the some of the subtleties. I just like making things these things aware. Yeah, you know, it's like if. You know, you watch a Woody Allen film and pretend like everything that he do, that he's notorious for, and once again, there is still no concrete proof of what happened, yeah. and you willfully pretend it doesn't exist. That's one thing. If you go into it being like, okay, this was made by a bad person, but I like the film on its own merits, that's different. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, so that's, that's what John Landis did. <laughs> Whoo! I talk. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's tough, and like they, the 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 TV show about it was very well made. Cool. We'll have to uh, post a link to that as we yeah. release this episode, so that people can check it out. If yeah, it's it's a Shutter original. It's called Cursed Films. Nice. Uh, all of the episodes were good. Like I said, they did Poltergeist, they did The Exorcist, The Omen, The Crow, and Twilight Zone, the movie. Um. All of them are worth checking out. Cool. Was there anything else you wanted to say about the first coming to America before we talk about coming to America? I'm sure there is, but I'm, like I said, it was so long ago, I think I need input in order to react. Yeah, I do say one thing I wanted to talk about, though, is I loved the the uh, uh, the character of Cleo McDowell and his whole McDowell's franchise. <laughs> and I love that like yes. it's not only just a McDonald's ripoff, but it exists in a world where McDonald's also exists. So that and makes is suing McDowell's fun. because yes. <laughs> they have the Big Mac. We have the, I forget what he called it. The Big Mick. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they have, do it again in the sequel. Yes. Uh, what was the they, McFlurry? They, we have the Mick. Oh, fuck. Mc, what was it called? Yeah, I forget. That. Oh, I don't remember. But they all had like great names. Um, they our toppings like... are on the bottom. Yes. 
All right, fellas. Now, your first job every morning would be to sweep this walkway. Then I want you to wash all the windows. Real good, too. And don't leave no streaks. Hey. Hey. What are you doing? Get the hell out of here before I bust that camera. Look, me and the McDonald's people, we got this little misunderstanding. Hmm? See, they're McDonald's. I'm McDowell's. Huh? They got the golden arches. Mine is the golden arcs. <laughs> now, see, they got the Big Mac. I got the Big Mick. We both got two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions. But they use a sesame seed bun. My buns have no seeds. So I just loved that character, and I I I I loved any time that he was on screen, just because like he he he's my favorite type of comedy character where he's not performing anything for laughs. He's performing it as it should be, yes. but because the situations are so fucking yep. crazy that they're extremely funny. I also uh, found in the sequel his relationship with Eddie Murphy's character was really sweet. Like he yes. filled that fatherly role when when his father died and it was really kind and still silly yeah but again i th there there is something really cool about these two movies where um they it the the films were full of plenty of drama that you that you want in a film but it wasn't because the characters were being dramatic like they mm -hmm. were they were acting with integrity for the most part you know some of the side characters were not um, but it wasn't about them. The, the main protagonists, the ones that were driving the story were doing so with integrity. Yeah. And like, I, I loved that scene where, um, Akeem goes back to McDowell's and he's mopping because it's, yep. it's, it's what yep. make, brings him peace. Yeah. Um, but no, you were hundred percent right. And something I wanted to touch on further, what you had said is that the, the central protagonists, while they are allowed to be funny and at times definitely are, um, they are not where all the crazy big laughs come from. That's like all the side characters. So like, yeah. I love that for what Eddie Murphy was known for at this time, which was just being really comedic and over the top, he got to do in all of his side characters. Like he got to be the crazy barber. He got to be, the old um, Jewish man. <laughs> yes, he got to be Randy Watson, the singer of Sexual yep. Chocolate. Like <laughs> he got to do all these things, but then he also got to like be a real character, real yeah. and give us a real performance with the character of Akeem. Yeah. Which is what I really liked. Um so I guess this is the best time as I need to move on to coming to America. <laughs> so we're done talking about coming to America? Yes, we're going to talk about Just coming be, to okay. America. Okay, now we're talking about coming to America. Got it. Yes, yes. So coming to America, as I said in my intro, was was directed by Craig Brewer, who had just made Dolomite is my name, which if you have not seen, is I highly recommend. It was probably my favorite movie of that year. Okay. Um, and as they um, 
They bring they bring back the writing duel of Barry Blaustein and David Sheffield, who which have worked with Eddie Murphy quite a bit. They were staff writers for Saturday Night Live from eighty to eighty three. They wrote Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. I think they worked on one of the they'd worked on the Nutty Professor movies, so they okay. they know Eddie Murphy. They know his style of comedy, but then they also bring in a screenwriter named Kenya Barris, who created the TV show Blackish that's on ABC. Oh yeah. Um, and I think he also, uh, looking at his his filmography, he also wrote like Barbershop, The Next Cut. He wrote a movie called Girls Trip. He did the 2019 Shaft. So he's, you know, he's a he's a positive black voice who's been telling black stories. Yeah. So I think he's a really good person to bring into this film because, you know, while Barry Blaustein and David Sheffield wrote a good script for the first movie. You know, it's it's um you know two seventy year old white Jewish guys <laughs> writing a contemporary black story. Right, you should probably get a black voice in there. Which I mean, yeah. Eddie Murphy probably brought them back or had them involved because they were so heavily involved in the first film. But I'm yeah. glad that they brought a new unique voice in. Yes, absolutely. So, what did you think about coming to America? I thought it was a perfect love letter to the first film. And I think that's all they were trying to do. I mean, they're trying yeah. to make a good film. Certainly they were trying to bring comedy. They were trying to tell a good story, but it seemed like the whole re like why, why reboot this film? Why make a sequel to this film as a love letter to the first one? Yeah. You know, they're not trying to create this whole franchise. And I think it did exactly what they set out to do. Yeah, like, I I definitely don't like it as much as the first one, but I thought it was a phenomenal companion piece to it. Yeah. I like, I really like what they did with the characters. While, like, I mentioned before that it kind of rides the line between being sequel and rehash, but I think the characters are changed enough where I don't feel like it's rehashing. Like, I like the version of King Akeem in this film. Yeah. Where, yeah, it, he's not the funny, over-the-top character he was in the first one, because he's aged, he's grown. Yes, I... I that was something that I was going to mention, too, is, like, it. they didn't just pick up where the last film left off. You can see the growth that happened between the end of the first film and the beginning of this film. Yeah, it's, to the point... Oh, sorry, continue. It... It's it's not the same character, but it is true to the original character. Yes, to the point where King, where Queen Lisa even comments on that. But like, why are you so adamant on doing this thing that you were so against yeah. when you were young? And um, and as as um aging man, I can appreciate the, you know deciding how much of your father you want to be and how much of your own you know picking pieces of who your parents are and who you have become and not always being able to see the difference between the two but every once in a while you see it and then you have to make the decision of which way to lean like uh those themes in this film uh i i related to yeah and i once again i thought what what, what i liked so much out of the first film was Eddie Murphy and the entire cast and crew were smart in knowing that let's cast a bunch of over-the-top fun characters around Eddie Murphy. Yeah. So while he can still, he's you know I'm not saying that he's not funny in this movie, but he's allowed to 
perform and it takes some of that pressure off of his shoulders you know when he's surrounded by people like tracy morgan and leslie jones who are right. phenomenal in this film or wesley snipes like <laughs> right. just As who's the, my favorite the part really of this funny warlord yeah threatening and, to murder everyone and i also like appreciate too that if i'm remembering correctly i feel like both wesley snipes and arsenio hall weren't necessarily in the best places when this movie came to be. You know, I think I think Wesley Snipes might have been having like money problems. Arsenio Hall hasn't been working as much, and you know all these little things. Um, but you know, it's it, he he kind of brought them back into the fold, and it's like you know I have faith in you. It's honestly kind of what Eddie Murphy did in the first film with yeah. John Landis. Be like, yeah. hey, you're down for, on your for luck. Better Things or worse. are tough for you. <laughs> How about come come do a movie with me? Yeah. We'll get you back to work. Yeah. And it's just it's, I feel like it says a lot about who Eddie Murphy is as a person. Is he cares? Yeah. But like I, I, I actually like I like I said once again I didn't like it as much as the first film and I don't know how often I'm gonna revisit this one versus say the original one. Yeah. But I I thought this was a really fine sequel. Like I like that they didn't do the obvious thing. Like the obvious thing, for example, would have been, you know, um Eddie Murphy just playing the exact same character he did in the first film. Instead, he's more like his father was in the first film, and he has to learn. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that Leslie Jones and, you know, I, I love her character. And then, you know, the, the easy thing would have been is when she comes to Zamunda for her and Queen Lisa to completely hate each other. Yes, While there's, yes. There's definitely some friction between them. They end but up becoming Leslie friends Jones again. is like, I'm not going to let that happen. We're family. <laughs> what? That's the last surprise. What's up, y'all? Hi. What's up, fam? Hey, I'm gonna hug you because I'm a hugger. Hey, Quang. I'm sorry I slept with your man. What is going on here? Oh, children. Children, I would love for you to meet your brother. And my name is Mary. How you doing? Just call me your second mom. But you really don't have to, girls. I mean, but you should, though, because I kind of am. Well, look at us. Just one big, happy, Zamundan American aristocratic blended family. I just like the Kardashians. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm going to treat you like family, even if you're uncomfortable around me right now. That I, again, speaks to this, like, the, this, the integrity and the genuineness, the heart. The, mm -hmm. This film and the characters have heart in ways that a lot of films don't. And, and it's yep. moments like that with Leslie Jones saying, yep, no, we're sisters now. <laughs> Yep, or like, you know, Tracy Morgan and Semi becoming friends in the end, and <laughs> right. which I, I kind of loved. And, you know, and where it does retread itself in the first one is it's all about chasing your heart versus, you know, going with the logical choice. And and I, I really like Jermaine Fowler, who plays Lavelle. I really liked him in this role. I thought he was, he did a great job of, kind of reprising the type of energy that Eddie Murphy gave us in the first film where he's funny when he needs to be, but he's also really heartfelt. Yeah. You know, like, so I, yeah, I found myself like really enjoying this film and considering how many people online were shitting on it. Like, well, <laughs> I was expecting it to be like a train wreck. But... <laughs> I, but... 
in, internet shit talking it, it, you <laughs> they're wrong so often yes yeah so like and then well, like i just i did love some of the 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 dumb little like uh jokes towards the original one like i like i loved that they put a mcdowell's in zamunda <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> like yep. that makes sense <laughs> and the you know the the first one being uh Zamundan out of place in New York, and then this one being New Yorkers being out of place in Zamunda. Like it, it's the it's the way to go. You know that's yes. the that's the story to tell. Yeah, and it's also you know the story that also to be told is the fact that traditions are meant to change. That yeah. you can yeah. grow, you can be different people. But I, I did have one major problem with the film. Okay. My biggest problem is with the story of how um, Lavelle came to be. It's <laughs> I, me, Amanda, and Emma were all really struggling with this very casual. Let's make fun of you know date rape joke. Right. Right. And I feel like there's a way that could have come to be without that inclusion sure you know like um it could you know it could have been dumb like something like you know eddie murphy being like well i didn't i wasn't with anyone else while i was in america and then like semi could have been like well there was that we have one a, we have a flashback and it cuts back and he goes oh she doesn't count you know kind of <laughs> like that line in in monster squad where like, right well there was steve but he doesn't count like that's just steve yeah like you know th- there's a way they could have done it without it being like without using like that yeah because yeah. that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way and especially because like they're also making a joke out of it and it it it's problematic the movie won me back after that but i kept we all kept going back yeah. to it right and as, it also feels lazy. It feels like a lazy it, way to do that. That's kind of where I was going next with it. Was is as writers, you have to be diligent about not relying on cliches, especially yeah. problematic cliches. And, it, and considering both movies do a really good job of not falling into cliches, it was kind of unfortunate to see that being one that they did use. Yeah. Yeah. So that was yeah, my biggest I, problem with it. It it and didn't. I wanted it, to make sure I mentioned that. It didn't hit me when I watched it the first time, and it probably should have. And probably part of that is you know the the gender dichotomy of it seeming more okay because it's a guy that it happened to, and that is a problem that I see at that. You know that that it didn't ring the alarm bell because it was a guy you know yeah like, because yeah. Of, and that's a whole other conversation to right have. right but i but, think had the the gender roles been reversed it would have hit my alarm bell a lot harder yeah um, yeah and it's you know it's something that as a society we need to change yeah mentally that you know it can happen to anyone and yeah. it's still assault um granted they they thankfully the scene wasn't made more uncomfortable by the way they shot it or anything like that and you know sure 
Leslie Jones was is, is hysterical in pretty much everything, so I love her. <laughs> I love Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan. Like those I do two, too. yeah. Uh, adding those two to the cast, I was very excited about. Yeah, because I kept thinking it's like, oh, these two are perfect for this movie, and had they been around during the original one, they would have fit in perfectly yes. with that first cast. Because <laughs> like I can just I, I if I could just see. If they would have made this movie, if they would have been around back in the eighties, like Tracy Jones in makeup, playing an old guy in that barbershop as well. Tracy Morgan. Yeah, that's sorry. Yeah, Tra- Tracy Morgan. <laughs> Leslie <mistake>. Jones. Tracy. <laughs> like I. Leslie Morgan. Yes, they they were a phenomenal inclusion. Yeah. And then I also do want to talk about like um, um, another thing that I was really happy about with what they did was the character of princess Mika, who was the one who wanted to take over the Zamundan throne. Right. And um, like her, like her, oh, fa- like her father, when she is met with a situation that she is not down with, she didn't try to, um, like screw him up. She was, mm-hmm. she was upset. She was pissed, but she didn't try and like sabotage him so that she, would become the queen um she she expressed her disagreement and fought it but she did so uh with with integrity yeah like all things considered like the the scripting for this film is all very well done (laughs) with that one early exception (laughs) yes yes like the 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 writing on this film is all very well done it's all very three-dimensional decisions make sense and part of this is just because it's a sequel to an earlier film and it's an earlier film that we had just watched i think some of my biggest issue with the film is despite the fact that this movie had a big budget at 60 million dollars there's times where it just felt cheap okay or cheap cheaper i don't know i can't really explain why maybe it's just a because i had literally just watched the first one which was on film and had this you know down and gritty feeling to it because it was in new york and everything and this movie's so glossed over and maybe it's just like an illusion thing it just it lacked some of the what made the original one special and i couldn't even tell you what was missing because it did so much well (laughs) Oh, and, you know, the majority of the first one was set in New York, which it's easy to make New York feel right with less money versus (laughs) versus spending almost the entire film in a palace. Yeah. You know, so that and I I didn't get that feeling, but I could see that impacting kind of you know you have to make something look rich well it takes a lot more money to make something look like it costs a lot of money it's felt it felt like you know the um we've all seen like that short film at a, at a film festival that's ha- where you could tell the filmmaker was friends with some rich guy and was able to shoot in his house and it's like yep. he just didn't know what to do with the space yep you know that almost feels like that like it's it's great production value uh and Again, one thing I loved about the sequel too is I loved the costuming. Um, yeah, and um, they tapped into the 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 costume uh, the costumers who worked on Black Panther, which okay. we often joked that it's like, oh, co- the original Coming to America felt like the comedy version of Black Panther. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like there's there's so much good about this film, and like I I 
I have a personal belief that sometimes you just need to turn off your brain a little bit and just try to find the enjoyment of something. Yeah. You know, like, I, well, I, I love... I will say I love the original Coming to America, and I'm glad I discovered it. And it's, I think it's a movie I'm going to return to quite a bit. Um, but it's not like a movie that needs to be studied and broken down. Yeah. And like, it's just turn off your brain and well, enjoy it. Well, what I would, the only counter that I would say to that is, as as the world of cinema is given hopefully giving more opportunities for people of color to mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, have a platform and a voice. This was a film that did it right in a time when those, there were not as many uh, big budget open across the country in theaters kind of platforms for that. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it did it without cliches and without it. And, presented a strong black male character that defied the stereotypes yeah you know that i i'd say that there is a place for for that element of this film to be studied oh yeah it's, i was more so thinking of a a review that amanda just read on letterboxd for the original lion king where someone Gave the film two stars, which is their prerogative. Yeah, uh, and they 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 went back through and broke it down, beat by beat, point by point, why the film doesn't work and is a bad film. <laughs> and they ended their they either began or ended the review with the, this concept that, um, if you have to turn your brain off to watch a movie, it is automatically not a good movie. And I'm like, that's not that. Fair. Yeah, that's just wrong. Because not every <laughs> film needs to have an in-depth analysis. Well, and and good fi- a what makes a good film is so subjective. Yes. Like, how do you do, you know? We we can talk about was it a really well shot film, and then you have something to start to like okay was it a good shot film or was it a poorly shot film to say that it's not a good film there isn't enough information to base that on and therefore mm-hmm. if you're saying if you have to shut off your brain to watch it it's not a good film that's wrong you you, you can't say that about a film yeah which i think is what i was you said far more eloquently than I was able to. I, I, don't, I don't know that I'd go that far. Oh, I'm trying to compliment you, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we all know that we're all very insecure on the inside, and therefore we can't take compliments without pushing them away and laughing. Fine. Fair. <laughs> but you still speak to my heart and make me happy. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Because you do the same for me. Oh. <laughs> So, Nick, was there anything else you wanted to talk about about coming to America or coming to America? <laughs> um, s- saying that I can remember? No. I, I've, I've said everything that is currently bouncing around inside my brain. Cool. Um, yeah, then I think that's everything I've got. Uh, was there anything we need to talk about before we wrapped up for the day, Nick? Just keep an eye out, everyone, for our um, upcoming episodes. We're very excited about this season. We're very excited about our 100th episode coming up. Um, How many more do we got before if, that? If 
I think after this episode airs, so as of the point that the listener is listening, I think it's four episodes away. I think this is episode 96. Fuck, we still have a lot to do before we... I'm just so excited. I know, I'm so excited! (laughs) Uh, Um, But you'll be excited too. Uh, the other thing that I would say, since we didn't say it on the front end, is if you are liking what we're doing and this uh, heavy lifting that we're doing to try and get people more interesting than us on the podcast, make sure you pop over to our Patreon page and give it a look and see if you're willing to throw a few dollars towards the, you know, what value are you getting out of this podcast? If you are listening to it, if it's bringing you entertainment, if it's bringing you insight, pay for it (laughs) yeah and that being said and we also understand that if you can't because times are tough you know a dollar goes a long way if you can give us more awesome but if you legitimately can't right now that is fine do me a favor then and go to itunes or your podcast app of choice and give us a rating and review that is your way that you can help us out tremendously without Without, spending any money without paying a single cent review rate subscribe Yep. Comment, and then we share. we do have some new Patreon uh, patrons. I, we might have already thanked him in the past, but he jumped on back onto the Patreon after being gone for a little bit, and then decided to come back. Uh, Paul Dieter, we want to thank you for uh, thank supporting you, the show again. And then um, also, I never have to do this, but I like to do it anyways. Um, if you if anyone has ever jumped up in in price at any point, I like to give him a second shout out so i want to give a shout out to steven millick who who upgraded himself from the dollar tier to the five dollar tier so he can get all the bonus material yes so thank well, you I all hope you enjoy all of that bonus content you should and new one will be coming soon where i'm going to try something new by the time you're yeah. listening to this it will already be up it's going to be called shame list radio where i'm going to do half hour 45 minutes of spinning some tunes introducing them and explaining why i'm playing them it's all going to be made up of stuff that i've been vibing with this month some of it will be digital files if i have the song on vinyl you're going to get a recording of my vinyl record and high quality recording so you can hear it the way that i am enjoying it Nice. Well, if you have any issues with that, and then I've got two words for you. Watch, Watch movies. movies. <laughs> yeah, we did. It. We did. There we go. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.